Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is Roland Clark, and I'm here today on the New Books Network talking to Dr. Pablo Bradbury, who's a historian of Latin America with a strong thematic interest in religion and social movements. Pablo has taught history at the University of Liverpool and has been a visiting researcher at the Institution for Latin American Studies at the University of London. At the moment, he's Program Coordinator of Law and Social Science at the University of Greenwich International College. So welcome to the podcast, Pablo. Thank you very much for inviting me, Roland. So this book's about liberationist Christianity. Can you tell us what is liberationist Christianity? Sure. Um, so liberationist Christianity, as 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 I refer to it in the title of, of the book, is a socio-religious movement, really, um, uh, which emerges at, at a kind of um, uh, a, a key moment of the the Cold War period in, in Latin America in, in the second half of the 20th century. Um, so it merges really in, in the 19, uh, the middle of the 1960s and towards the end of the 1960s. Um, so some of your listen, listeners, I guess, were, may have heard of um, a phenomenon called liberation theology, which um, really starts to be expressed um, at, at the start of the 1970s, um, following the um, uh, 1968 Episcopal Conference in in Medellin in in Colombia, um, and a and, and the publication of a landmark book by um, by a priest in Peru called uh, Gustavo Gutierrez in 1971. Um, so, liberation theology at a basic level um, is is a kind of it's a collection of writings really by a fairly large network of of theologians and, and Christian activists. Um, so, for example, Gutierrez in Peru. Um, we have others like Juan Luis Eundo in in Uruguay. Um, uh, Ruben Alves, Hugo Esman, held a camera in Brazil, um, and the list goes on. Um, and we, I, get, I, I we can say that liberation theology has has two main uh, characteristics or or pillars. Um, uh, so, firstly. Um, as as Gutierrez says, um, liberation theology is a is a new way of doing theology. Um, so Gutierrez emphasizes that um, liberation theology sees theology as a as a critical reflection on practice. So it's it's very much focused on on um, on on some kind of social and political action, uh, or, or or at least social and political commitment, which is seen to be foundational to to the Christian faith. Um, and and this is seen as as situated and contextual, um, uh, and and a large part of this was to recognise that um, that sin is not just to do with um, uh, personal behaviour, but uh, is also structural and and uh, embedded in the institutions of of society. So, so the the first pillar, I guess, is that is that theology 
is is a, a reflection on the social and political commitment to to challenge these institutions of sin. Um, I, the second pillar is is what some people have referred to as an epistemological shift um, that liberation theology tries to kind of um, uh, bring about, uh, which is to see society from the perspective of of the poor and the the, the dehumanized or those um, suffering some form of violence um, and uh, and and social um, social ills. Um, so and and this is seen by the liberation theologians as the authentic expression of Christianity. Um, so liberation theology really um, coheres in in the early nineteen seventies, but it's built on the top of a a, a wider uh, cultural and social and religious phenomenon. Uh, it's which isn't just limited to theological writings. Um, so. Um, I, I take liberationist Christianity as uh, as uh, from the uh, work by uh, Michael Lowy or Michel Lowy, um, who 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 says that um, that liberationist Christianity is um, is a kind of cultural expression of of uh, an articulation or or combination between uh, Christian faith and and revolutionary politics. Um, and this isn't a, a homogenous movement. It involves not just priests, but students, intellectuals, uh, includes workers in in the urban centres and uh, as well as in in rural locations. It includes Catholics and Protestants. Um, it includes um, guerrillas and peace activists. Um, so it's 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 very much diverse and cuts across lots of social and political um, sectors. And so this really coheres, or it, it comes together um, at this moment at the end of the 1960s and the start of the 1970s. Um, so is this just a Catholic phenomenon? Because a lot of the people you've quoted are Catholics, or were there non-Catholics involved as well? Yeah, so um, I one of the things I try to do in the book is... Um, is challenge the idea that this was simply a, a Catholic phenomenon. Um, liberation theolo- There are a number of important Protestant um, liberation theologians, um, and um, and 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 I think this this is really important in itself. Um, but in the Argentine case, um, there is a I suppose a popular assumption or popular understanding which. Which sees uh, this this phenomenon as as simply a Catholic one, but um, so so what what I try to do is uh, partly is is to uncover some of the um, so so by by using this idea of liberation as Christianity, we try to move away from uh, a, a merely Catholic centered understanding of of, of this movement. Um, so. It's important to note that um, some Protestant churches were actually more institutionally sympathetic to towards liberation of Christianity. It, um, so, for example, the Methodist churches uh, across Latin America were often um, often run, in fact, by uh, by figures quite close to the movement. Um, in 
across Latin America, we had figures like uh, Richard Shaw, for example, who who actually before liberation theology theology was um, was coined by by Gustavo Gutierrez, um, developed a series of, of meetings and conferences on on theology and, and revolution. Um, there, there are also other kind of um, social expressions um, within within Protestant Christianity of um, uh, of a, a kind of revolutionary or at least uh, left wing militant type politics. Um, for example, in the Christian student movement, um, which um, which started to engage with left wing. Uh, ideas and politics and at the time of decolonization across the world in in the 1950s and 60s so in in some ways um liberationist christianity uh, actually appears earlier in in the protestant world in in latin america um it, it influenced very strongly by the U.S. civil rights movement and uh, figures like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, uh, and and this is articulated very strongly in in the World Council of Churches um, assemblies. So, for example, in a, a very important one in 1968 in Uppsala, which um, is is held just a few months after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and. Um, and and is is a kind of uh, a trigger for for a um, a, a mobilization on uh, along the lines of left wing politics and uh, um, civil rights uh, uh, and and the emergence of of human rights, which which later becomes really important for the for the ecumenical movements in in Argentina. Um, I, 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 I guess at this point, it's also important to say that for for some of the Protestant churches, there was an important process of of autonomization in the 1960s. So, the Methodist Church, for example, before the end of the 1960s, was organized organizationally and financially dependent on on the um, the the Methodist Church in in the United States. The the United Methodist Church, um, and a decision was taken in the in the middle of the nineteen sixties to uh, to um, in, incorporate or integrate with other Methodist churches in Latin America, and and so become independent of the U.S. So, so there's there's a, a process of uh, of of trying to mm, trying to integrate more fully with. Um, with other Latin American sectors, um, uh, and and actually a kind of nationalization in 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 Argentina, where Protestants are increasingly being or seeing themselves as as core core parts of uh, of Argentine society and, and and politics, whereas the the Protestant world in Argentina had often been seen as a kind of importation uh, uh, previously. Uh, and this is one of the things that uh, I like most about the book was the ability to, a, a lot of books on liberation theology, they just deal with the theologians, whereas you, by looking at what's on the ground, you're able to show a lot of diversity. Um, and which brings me to my next question, which is 
talking about the relationship of the church to any regime is really complicated and I am terrified of simplifying and oversimplifying what was going on in Argentina. But would I be right to say that the Catholic Church was pretty disenchanted with Juan Perón by the time he was deposed in 1955? And then after that, the church supports the various regimes that came after him? Yes. I, I, so in, in broad brush strokes, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. In fact, the church was a, a, a really large part of Juan Perón's deposition in 1955. So just to very briefly explain who Juan Perón was, he came to prominence as as a a young colonel in in a military regime in in the 1940s. And through his position as as the Minister for for, um, uh, Social Welfare and, um, and, and then Vice President, he um, he manages to gain uh, a lot of support amongst the, the trade unionists, uh, the the trade unions, which was, which was uh, gro- uh, the trade union movement was growing very quickly at this point, um, and he he appealed to various marginalised sector sectors of of the 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 country, um, and it, it, so he he wins the the elections. Um, in the mid 1940s, um, on the back of um, very bitter divisions within the military and uh, across society more generally, and he then becomes the most dominant visit, uh, politician in, in Argentina, uh, and and politics to this day is still still largely defined um, by the Peronist and anti-Peronist divides. Uh, to at least to some extent, um, but initially he he also appealed very strongly to the Catholic Church um, uh, in the mid nineteen forties, which had and the church had strong institutions um, embedded within uh, society um, with with historical influence. Um, but and he appealed to the church partly through his um, the assumption. Of a kind of secular, secularized form of Catholic social social doctrine, and the central, I, I suppose, the, the central message of of class harmony. Um, uh, he also promised to uphold certain components of uh, uh, certain tenets of the church's key demands in in society, like um, upholding or introducing religious instruction in state schools. Um, but by by the sort of early 1950s um, and uh, uh, well, the, the, the mid 1950s, this kind of informal alliance between Peron and, and, and the church had turned in extremely sour. So by, by 1954, um, a, 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 um, Catholic a, a kind of pamphleteering campaign which sought to counter official discourse um and um and a, as a response to this um Peron ordered the arrest of uh, of hundreds of of priests um and this continued to escalate to the point that the the pope pope pius the 12th that excommunicates Peron from the catholic church um, Peron suppresses religious ex- uh, processions and 
um, passes legislation like the the legalization of divorce and prostitution um, and removes state support for Catholic schools. Um, and it, he even threatens to disestablish the church from, from the state. Um, and so in, in 1955, um, before before the, the coup that overthrows Peron, there was a, there, uh, there was a, a previous attempt to uh, by by the armed forces to to overthrow um, Peron, uh, which was ex- extremely violent. Um, the naval aircraft dropped bombs in the center of Buenos Aires and 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 left hundreds of, of Peronists dead. Um, and the naval aircraft actually flew banners declaring um, Cristo vence or, or Christ conquers uh, uh, would be the English translation. And then as a response to this, Peronist militants actually started to burn down churches, including the uh, the cathedral in the centre of the city. So it's, it, this is an extremely dramatic um, breakdown in in the relationship between Peronism and the Catholic Church, uh, which turns extremely violent. Um, and you're right in saying that um, to a large extent, the Catholic Church later supports um, other military governments, which um, which to some degree or another root their politics in in anti-Peronism uh, or at least anti-communism, which often seems to uh, incorporate or encompass um, the, the 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 mobilized sectors of or the more militant sectors at least of of Peronism. So, if the church is supporting these military dictatorships and regimes, not all priests are agreeing with the church's stance, are they? How does liberationist priests organize? If they can't organize through the church, yeah. So um, the following the the, the nineteen fifty five coup, and and remember, so liberationist Christianity wasn't really a, a coherent phenomenon by uh, by this uh, at the time of the nineteen fifty five coup. Um, but um, there were there was a small section of the of uh, the Catholic clergy, which was supportive of of Peron, including um, Eva Peron, um, so Eva Peron's confessor, Eva Peron being um, Peron's uh, wife, who dies in 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 1952, um, and who is is a kind of uh, very public is a very. She's a very important icon for for Peronism and associates herself with the the poor and the working classes very strongly, um, and also assumes um, a, a variety of kind of Catholic uh, imagery. Um, um, but even many of the the priests who were very anti-Peronists, uh, very opposed to to Peron by nineteen fifty five. Um, started to, um, I suppose, un- undergo a process of of reconsidering the the anti peronist their anti peronist positions. So th- th- there are some testimonies, for example, for from uh, figures who who were later key key leaders, I suppose, of of liberationist Christianity. Of um, it, during the, uh, the 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 celebrations of the 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 overthrow of Peron, um, uh, priests um, 
moving from the more wealthy neighborhoods to the the poorer neighborhoods and and the the response to the defeat of Peron is very very different so we have the middle classes um celebrating and and the working classes um absolutely distraught in in tears um and so so there is a process of um of of some catholic priests and um and and a variety of uh lay uh, movements or lay organizations trying to uh, bridge this divide between the the Peronist working classes because Peronism had really become deeply rooted within the the working classes and it had become largely the the working or the the dominant working class identity politically speaking um and and so that there was a, a, began to to uh, emerge these efforts to try and bridge this divide and some of these um formed key um uh, formative experiences for for liberationist christianity so for example a very important uh, a very small scale, scale but important in terms of the sort of cultural memory of uh, liberationist christianity um was a the movement of of worker priests or the uh, initiatives by um by worker priests who had been influenced by the, the French experienced uh, French experiences before of, of worker priests in, in the 1930s and 40s. Um, so, um, so, so this was part of the the efforts of of um, of priests in Argentina trying to uh, re-engage with the working classes in in Argentina, um, and um, and and th these kinds of initiatives um, increasingly led to divisions uh, within the church uh, and very bitter conflicts between um, uh, uh, priests and and lay Catholics involved in these experiences and and those who very much on the on the the conservative side of of the political divide. Um, so. Um, so, so I guess it, to the uh, the roundabout way to to answer your question is that the liberationist priests often tried to to organize within the church to an extent, um, because the worker priest movement was seen as uh, as by many as as a legitimate uh, initiative within the church. Um, but engaging with the sectors very much marginalized or, or, or alienated rather from, from the, the institutional structures of, of the, the, the church. Um, and, and this sort of starts to cohere in, in a much more, um, uh, a much clearer way um, in, in, in a political sense, um, it, or rather as a, as a national phenomenon uh, towards the end of the 1960s with the um uh, the, the mobilization or the organization of a group called the movement of priests for the third world um which which 
brings together these different experiences of worker priests, of of other priests who had been working in the slums and and others who had been close to, for example, student sectors who were increasingly mobilised. And and the third world priests, um, uh, as they were called, um, begin to um, organise and develop a kind of national uh, national identity in uh, by by 1967. Um, so the movement for priests of the third world is this a top down organisation or is it more like a loose association of like minded people? Uh, certainly the latter more than more than the former. Um, so the 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 movement of priests for the third world was um, was largely organised on on diocesan um, boundaries. Um, so local groups of priests um ran largely independently of the of the national i suppose that what we might call the national structure um and they even had uh, they so for example even the the role of lay members um or, uh, or or lay sympathizers was left to be decided by these diocesan groups so the third world priest movement was a was uh, was a clerical movement, um, but incorporated to to various extents throughout the the country, um, lay participation, uh, or at least um, collaboration with with um, lay Catholics. Um, but there were some national level structures. So uh, very early on, a uh, a, a a guy called um, Miguel Ramondetti. Uh, who uh, was in some ways responsible for the 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 initial organization of the the the, the third world priests um because he he translated um uh, the the message from bishops of the third world which had been published in 1967 in, in french um and uh, uh, which was a a kind of manifesto that uh articulated the Christian message as um, uh, w- with the idea of revolution and and identified socialism as uh, as as Christianity lived lived fully um, and this became re- really really influential um, partly because of, of Ramon Detti's efforts to um, to circulate th- this message so Ramon Detti became the general secretary um for the third world priests um there was also a a permanent secretariat and uh, a, a group of national coordinators from from diff- six uh, different regions um and they had a a bulletin um which had a a national level editor so there was some uh, limited national level structures but uh, primarily, this was a, a very loose association of um, of of groups of priests in in their in their respective um, dioceses. Um, the most, I suppose, the most important national level events um, were the the annual national encounters or or meetings, uh, which um, which brought together. Um, in some cases, hundreds of 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 priests um, to to meet and discuss um, how to understand um, the the 
the, the, the present conjunctures of Argentine uh, society and politics and and how to um, how to analyze the, the the developments in Argentine society from from a a, a liberationist Christian perspective. Um, <clears throat> and within these discussions, there were all sorts of uh, debates about to what extent can um, can they firstly engage with um, and secondly explicitly adopt uh, Peronism as the um, as the dominant popular movement in Argentina, uh, and they also discussed um, the relationship with with Marxism and uh, and other kinds of uh, re- revolutionary politics. Um, so there were these national level discussions, but that org- certainly organizationally, it was it was much more of a loose association. And what happens when some of these liberationist priests find themselves in conflict with the church? Um, so the um, the conflicts within the the Catholic Church um, they uh, in fact they predate uh, the the um, the organization or the or the uh, the creation of the movement of priests for the third world. Um, there were some early examples of of very bitter conflicts between groups of priests and um, and the local bishop, for example, in Mendoza in the middle of the nineteen sixties. Um, but these um, these conflicts, these disputes, uh, which ha- had to do partly with um, partly with uh, pastoral innovations that. That many of these priests wanted to introduce into uh, into the the um, their clerical practice, um, and partly over in in the interpretations of the second Second Vatican Council in in the in the first half of the nineteen sixties, uh, the Second Vatican Council, which introduced various reforms into the Catholic Church and um, reflected or tried to. To, uh, discuss um, the uh, the engagement of the the, the Catholic world with um, with modernity, um, and so the, um, the 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 conflicts between priests and and their respective bishops, and as well as other uh, conservative Catholics, um, uh, and and also the state in 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 some cases. Um, Emerged partly as a result of the political commitments of of these priests, um, the third world priests, and partly as a result of um, new interpretations of of um, of Catholic um, Catholic uh, rites and liturgies uh, and 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 Christian practice. Um, but so these these conflicts certainly accelerated um, in uh, from 1967 when the third world priests were created, or the organisation was created, uh, and we have, um, for example, a, a case that I I explore in in my book in in San Isidro just outside of Buenos Aires, a group of worker priests um, who were accused of entering too deeply into political issues by their local bishop um, and who had also criticised the church's financial ties to, uh, to 
uh, to the the landowning class. Um, and these lead led to it, it, extremely bitter public disputes between between the priests and um, and the bishop, as as well as the bishop's local allies. Um, the most, I suppose, one of the most dramatic cases was in Rosario, where the archbishop, um, a, a guy called Guillermo Bolatti, um, who the liberationist Christian, one of the liberationist Christian publications at the time called, uh, uh, and I quote, one of the most expensive pieces in the conservative museum. Um, so Bolatti had opposed um, uh some of the reforms that the priests were trying to introduce inspired by the Second Vatican Council and punished um, some of the priests involved with local movements, um, suspending them and um, and trying to marginalise them from, from the, the local parishes. Um, and these disputes actually escalated when... Um, uh, that they escalate uh, when, the, when the local parishioners start to get involved on the side of the priests where uh, so the the parishioners started to occupy the churches of um sus suspended priests uh, and 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 the 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 bishops um or at least in the case of Rosario Guillermo Bolatti um got the police involved um and there was a very violent confrontation between the parishioners and and the police which left five of the protesters um shot and, and wounded um so these the, the the third world priests um or the the response to the third world priests by by bishops was was very punitive very disciplinary um and um and and these conflicts really escalate at, at, towards the end of of the the, the 1960s uh, and and this is one of the things I, I suppose I, I I explore in uh, in my book. Um, all of this sounds quite violent. Does that mean? And I'm, I'm not used to hearing like the church shooting people. Does that mean that the priests were and lay people are they just in conflict with the church, or are they also in conflict with the Argentinian state? Yes, in, increasingly they become um, very much in conflict with with the Argentine state too. Um, so I, one of the most um, one of the most surprising cases was the case of uh, Raúl Maduret, who was a, um, a, a a member of the the third, third world priests, uh, who came into conflict with his his um, superior, the Archbishop of Corrientes, um, a, a guy called Francisco Vicentin. Um, so Maturet had given a homily um, uh, or a public prayer for for a student activist who had been killed by police um, during the, 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 the... So this was in 1969, just following um, uh, so, some major protests across the country um, and um, and Maturet, as a result of his his um, uh, public pol political uh, messages, um, started to be um, pursued and and surveilled by by the police, um, uh, and in fact the the police regularly showed up at his church. and And Maturet 
asks the, the judiciary at this point to investigate Vicentin's collusion with the police. Um, so and and the the archbishop um refused uh, in this case to to cooperate with the judiciary um and was actually um arrested at this moment um as a response to this um Vicentin ordered the excommunication of Maduret which was uh, which was confirmed by the by the the Vatican um and um, and again, uh, parishioners occupied uh, occupied uh, Maduret's church um, along with three other priests, uh, the churches of of three other parish priests who um, who had been sanctioned and suspended by um, by the archbishop. Um, and again, these were these occupations were forcibly closed, uh, forcibly shut down by uh, by heavily armed police. Um, so these conflicts often began um, to to some some extent as as um, intra ecclesial uh, disputes, um, and, and and then escalate to um, to conflicts with the state, um, and these this persecution by the state um, was uh, in, intensified. Uh, it intensified greatly in in nineteen in nineteen seventy. Um, so in, at the start of the nineteen seventies, when uh, when guerrilla activity or or armed um, revolutionary groups began to um, increasingly um, carry out um, very bold um, uh, activities in in Argentina um so the the largest one being the the montoneros um who actually emerge uh, who, who which was founded by a, a group of young um young st- students um who were very close to liberationist christian circles um and and so the Montoneros, uh, one of their first actions is the um, the uh, the kidnapping uh, of the of one of the men responsible for the the military coup against Peron, Juan Peron, in nineteen fifty five, and and they execute um, the the this the former dictator. Um, and it's at this moment really that that the state persecution of the third world priests really steps up um so as a response to that particular action um the the kidnapping and execution of the the former dictator uh, aramburu he's called um the, uh, police arrest um the third world priests bulletin editor alberto carbone who they accuse him of of providing the uh, uh, the, um, the 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 machine to actually um, publish and and circulate uh, Montonero propaganda, um, and and also arrested were um, Carlos Mujica, who was the most uh, the most well known of the the third world priests, uh, and who had actually been the spiritual advisor of of the founders of the Montoneros. Um, and they arrest uh, a man called Hernan Bernites, who who was Eva Peron's confessor. Um, 
so the the Argentine state starts to um, to persecute and arrest and in some cases torture um, a, a various members of the 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 third world priests movement um, uh, and and in in the first years of of the nineteen seventies this uh, the, this persecution mounts uh, in, and increases um, up up until right up until the um, the elections in in 1973 which puts an end to um that particular uh, military dictatorship um the the biggest as the biggest um example or the most dramatic example of this was in in Rosario where um where priests had uh had had organized a large protest in response to actually the state persecution of of other priests, and the police arrest um, forty eight priests in 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 one go, and this was the largest mass arrest of priests since the 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 days or the the final years of the um, the Juan Peron uh, government in the nineteen fifties. I I can imagine it must be must have been difficult to respect the church as a hierarchy when it's persecuting you and it's supporting a state that is arresting and kidnapping and torturing your friends. How how did liberationist Christians conceive of the church? How did they imagine the church during the early 1970s? What was their ecclesiology? Yeah, so this is this is um a really interesting question which um which I think ha- hasn't been explored enough. Um and it's something that I tried to do in in my book to to some extent. So um the the priests in uh, the, the the third world priests are often in who are often in conflict with their bishops really conceive um uh, uh it largely conceive of of what's going on here as as a um a a, a dispute between the popular church and the, the hierarchical church um and you see this come out in in lots of the writings uh lots of the uh the public rhetoric and and um the uh, documents of of the the third world priests as well as as the discussions in in the wider wider left um in in argentina the wider political left um so what what tends what tended to happen in, in as a result of these these disputes within the church uh, was that the ecclesial le- leadership um, referred or yeah started to refer to um, the the notion of apostolic obedience, um, accusing uh, their priests of being disobedient um and they they also rejected what they saw as as a horizontal idea of the church from the priests so so that uh the the idea that that priests could organize sort of independently of of their bishops um on the other hand um and and this is where i suppose in some ways we need to be a bit careful because there wasn't a um a, a single interpretation of of the the church there wasn't a single ecclesiology uh, among uh, liberationist christians um 
But in general, they did try to develop more participatory practices. They did challenge the traditionalist conception uh, of the church that that authority, which um, for Catholics came from God, descended directly through the power or the structures of of the Catholic Church. Um, And what some of the third world priests said for example, was that between God and and the hierarchical structures, or be, between God and the hierarchy, um, there is a medium, uh, and that's the 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 people and the local community. Um, so, in some ways, they kind of invert the traditional um, uh, hierarchy of of the church, say, saying that the people is actually the medium between God. Uh, and 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 the bishops rather than the bishops being the medium between god and the people um and so the, this ecclesiology tended to um foreground the idea of the church as a community of believers um or often they would use the the, the notion of the people of god which was um which was one of the um theological concepts very important in the second vatican council um, some people, uh, for, so for example, one of the, the the former priests that I interviewed for the book um, just uh, discussed or talked about the idea of the assembly church, uh, the idea that the the, the church was um, a uh, almost a, a kind of popular democratic um, uh, movement of of people. Um, so the the third world priests did challenge the the. What they saw as the rigid verticalism of of the, the the institutional church at that time, and and preferred this idea of the church as the people of God rather than the church as, as a hierarchical institution. Um, this I think this conception also lent um, or, or allowed for a greater possibility for collaboration and cooperation with first first of all non Catholics. Um, so that uh, uh, liberationist priests uh, in in some parts of the country started working very closely with um, non-Catholic Christian sectors um, and and the ecumenical movements and networks that were uh, were emerging, um, as well as collaborating on a more political level with with Marxists and left wing militants um, as as parts. And and all of this as part of of their their conception of um, their commitments as as Christians. Um, this is really interesting in terms of rethinking what it means to be church. Um, but just to come back to this idea of exactly what liberationist Christianity is, one more time. Did being part of the movement of priests for the third world. In the, in the early 1970s mean that you had to be a Marxist or Peronist? Um, so in a word, no. Um, so there, there was no official ideology of the Third World Priest. They subscribed to uh, what what became popularly known as Tercermundismo or Third Worldism. Um, but this was also always open to interpretation. Um and and actually, the ideological expressions were 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 quite often quite vague, 
um, amongst the the third world priests, um, and and largely because of this this ideological diversity. So um, initially, the, the third world priests were largely prophetic in their public uh, public discourse, um, denouncing the um, uh, institutional violence, denouncing um, the the physical acts of violence of of the military regime at that time. Um, and uh, denouncing the what they saw as the structures of of uh, of of violence in um, in a very unequal society, um, and they also assumed some of the the kind of popular utopian uh, symbolisms of of the the new left um, at that time, including the, the the idea of the the new man, which was which was um, famously uh, a, a large part of of um, Che Guevara's um, uh, the political and uh, uh, and um, the, the political writings, um, but to to some extent, um, at, at the start of the nineteen seventies, the third world priests did move towards Peronism. Um, so I I would say that the. Peronism was probably the the largest ideological faction of the third world priests, um, but it was by no means um, by no, by no means homogenous in that sense. Um, so by sort of 1972, 1973, three very clear factions had emerged. Um, uh, we we have to be kept, uh, slightly careful here again because. These factions didn't encompass the entirety of the movement, and there there is, for example, an argument to be made that the majority of the movement wasn't so so clear ideologically. But there were three three very clear factions. Uh, one was um, quite straightforwardly um, Marx, influenced by Marxism, and foregrounded class struggle as as the um, as the the sort of centre of of political um, uh, p- political action, um, uh, and and that was probably the so this um, straightforwardly Marxist uh, faction was probably the the smaller of these three factions, but did have certain people in in kind of strategic uh, and influential positions within the third world priests. So the uh, Miguel Ramondetti, who I who I um, who I mentioned earlier as the general secretary of the third world priests uh was was very much part of 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 this faction um alongside that there were different um different interpretations or different factions within peronism so there was uh the what we might call the more revolutionary peronist elements which uh tried to marry a class struggle with the kind of um, the, the the populist politics of of Juan Perón, um, and on the other side there were the the more orthodox Peronists um, who within the third world priests largely saw themselves in on the the left wing of the Peronist movement, but were very much um, very much expressed loyalty to uh, to Juan Perón, whilst the the revolutionary Peronists were much more um, uh, much more prepared to to be critical of of um, of 
the the Peronist government, which comes to power in 1973. So these tensions really um, come to the fore at the end of 1972, when it's clear that there is going to be a political opening in Argentina, um, that um, that the, the the military government that had come to power in 1966, were, it was clear that that was in, in crisis, uh, that elections had been called um, for, for uh, March of 1973. And, uh, and these factions come to the fore because um, it, it looks very likely or looks almost uh, guaranteed that Peronism uh, would win any any free elections and they need to they need to start thinking about what their um, uh, what their attitude or what their relationship to Peronism should be at this point. Um, one of the key figures here um, is uh, a guy called Carlos Mujica, who's the most um, m- most publicly visible member of the the movement of priests for the third world. Um, very charismatic. Um, he had been sort of at the centre of some some national uh, uh, national uh, crises and and scandals. So um, he was seen as uh, so he was the the spiritual advisor, as I mentioned before, of uh, to the uh, to the the founders of the Monteneros. Um, and he was he was persecuted by the by the state on a, a, a number of occasions. Um, he and uh, he and his branch of the of the of the third world priests in in Buenos Aires um, took a position of 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 explicit loyalty to Peron when especially when uh, in in 1973 when Peronism comes to power again. Um, and so, for example, um, when uh, when the Peronist government um, continues some of the the, the policies uh, from the the era of the military, the previous military dictatorship, that um, that the the Montoneros and and various other militant groups and and local community groups are, are very much opposed to um, Mujica. Um, in, in some ways sides with the the per- Peronist government against his um his former I suppose his former comrades in in the much more militant side of of the um of Peronism so there was this this really dramatic um uh internal division uh between Peronism and over the the, uh, the the relationship also with Marxism and class struggle, um, but th- th- there was also another division which um, which in some ways is is less um, less decisive, uh, but in other ways it really speaks to the um, these um, conflicts and disputes over the conception of the church over over ecclesiological issues uh, and debates. Um, and this was over celibacy, uh, so priestly celibacy. Um, so as as priests um, who had been in dispute with their bishops, as they'd been marginalised from institutional positions within the church, many of them um, 
started to um, practice their faith and practice their their commitment to Christianity in a different way, um, and and many of them uh, started to to marry, or some of them uh, started to marry, um, um, and um, and at the same time there's there's a there's a sort of a more international debate over the the relevance and desirability of priestly celibacy, uh, whether um the 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 institution of priestly celibacy um separates priests from from the 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 community uh whether to um to live a more uh, a life more in um in communion with uh the the wider communities it's um it's necessary to do to do away with with celibacy, so there, there are these debates circulating in Argentina at this time too. Um, but this very much has to do with the conception of the church and the um, uh, the sort of um, that the idea um, the conception over the membership um, of the the church as an as an institution. Um, so um the branch in in mendoza a city on on the west uh, of of argentina um start to call celibacy uh, a, a a a vertical imposition uh, of juridico roman totalitarianism um to really emphasizing the the sort of authoritarian institutional nature of of celibacy as imposed on 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 priests um and and these um these uh debates over whether whether third world priests um who had had married uh or in in some cases they were they were kind of former priests uh, or or at least had had relinquished their ministerial duties um whether these could legitimately be part of of the third world priest movement um and and this comes up in a very bitter way in the in the final um national meeting of the the third world priest in 1974 which which is it is is so that that um it becomes or degenerates into such a a bitter debate that um they can't produce any um um a, a, any document uh, as a result of it so there are these these two um uh disputes or uh, or divisions within uh within the third world priests um by the the, the mid 1970s one over political ideology and the relationship to to peronism and, and marxism and the other over um, celibacy, celibacy uh, which in some ways is a is a kind of cipher for the um, relations, the uh, the conceptions of the church that are are, are circulating at, at this point. Um, so I've got another division for you. So you've got the political divisions and the celibacy question. Did any priests pick up guns? Or how did these liberationist police respond to being targets of state terrorism? Yeah, so the the question of violence was um, was 
again was a, very much a a debate and a, a an an uh, an issue um, at this point. Um, I suppose the first thing to say is is that very few priests picked up guns. Very few priests joined or had um, any kind of close relationship with the um, the armed organizations or the or the the guerrillas um uh at, at this this moment um so i suppose just to give something of a backdrop uh, so argentina entered um a kind of new stage um in uh in its development in in its sort of political development in 1974 um so although um repressive dictatorships and state violence had been really widespread widespread in 1974 despite the fact that uh, constitutional government was was in power um uh, state violence uh increased exponentially um uh, a big part of this was a, the the internal peronist civil war so the the peronist government uh, funded um, or parts of elements of the Peronist government have, uh, funded paramilitary organizations which um, which mm, uh, terrorized members uh, parts of the revolutionary left um, and and this really accentuates the crisis in in the the third world priests um in the the question of violence is is sort of is is very much part of these debates um and and they have a longer longer history so the, in the early stages of the development of liberationist christianity um uh the discussions over violence really center on um on how violence is embedded structurally in society in in very unequal uh in exploitative um economic uh, models um and um in the uh in the uh, a, a sort of key moment in the development of of liberation theology was in a, a conference in Medellin in 1968 the uh count uh, the of uh, latin american bishops um meeting to reflect on um on uh, the uh, on the current situation in in Latin America, and as as influenced by um, by the Second Vatican Council and uh, recent papal encyclicals, and and in Medellin, the uh, the the final documents um, uh, discussed the um, the potential for a just violence of the oppressed. Um, so the the idea being that if if the um, if, if the oppressed people or the uh, the marginalized and and dehumanized uh, populations of Latin America were to um, oppose the, those um, that situation of of structural violence with um, with violence that could be seen potentially as uh, as justified. Um, then, so in the mid nineteen seventies, this becomes uh, very, uh, very real in in Argentina in the sense that um, that 
uh, armed guerrilla groups had become very well organized, in some cases um, uh, very well resourced, uh, at least compared to the armed organizations in, in other countries uh, of Latin America. The Montoneros were, um, it, by this point, the probably the the the, the largest um, and and most dynamic of the 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 guerrilla organizations in in Latin America, um, and um, and some of the m- many of the priests in in the third world priest movement began to distance themselves um, from the guerrillas. Um, it, but there was by by no means a um, an agreement over this. Um, so one of the priests that I I interviewed, Ruendri, wrote in in the nineteen um, seventies um, about uh, he, he he had rejected the um, the the idea of an inherent antagonism between between violence and Christian love and the notion of Christian love. Um, but he very carefully avoided promoting armed violence, so um, uh, armed action by the by the guerrillas. Um, as I said, a small number of priests uh, and or clergy did join the guerrilla groups. Um, um, but I think it's probably more important or more um, uh, more consequential that many of the guerrillas were actually influenced by liberationist Christianity, so including the, the founders of the Montoneros. Um, uh, th- this is a, a much, um, I, I, I say, conse- consequential because, um, because the Montoneros very much were formed politically within, uh, within their kind of liberationist Christian uh, milieu. Um, uh, but the, the other uh, thing to say about violence um, at, at this point is is that more than um, taking up armed action, um, the third world priest and liberationist Christianity was far more likely to be uh, uh, victimized by by uh, by by the state or or paramilitaries. So dozens of of priests. Were either assassinated or disappeared um, from the the point of the uh, the sort of onset of the period of state terrorism in in I would say in 1974, and then which intensifies with the 1976 military coup. Um, so dozens of, of priests were assassinated or disappeared, and many more were uh, were uh, kidnapped, uh, tortured. Um, became political prisoners or or were forced into exiles, and that's not to to mention also the the, the large numbers of of lay Christians who um, who are victimized in similar ways um, and or in, in the same way. Um, uh, so um, sorry, I kind of lo- lost my train of thought there, um, uh, but. Yeah, so the, I, I suppose the point here is, is that uh, rather than um, actually uh, taking up arms, uh, li- liberationist Christ- Christians were m- far more likely to to be the victims of of state and par- paramilitary violence. Um, 
I want to come back to this question of violence, but can you tell us a little bit about your research methods uh, as well? Were you using mostly published sources or were you able to talk to some of these people as well? Yes, I, I, I was able to, to talk to some of them. Um, I, w one of the things I, I, I think if I was able to actually uh, go back and do the research again, I think I would have uh, possibly actually started off talking to, to people uh, uh, rather than um, so the, the way I did things was was to um, firstly focus uh, more on on archival sources and then and then um, uh, then carry out interviews with um, with uh, people involved in in these these networks. Um, so I, I it, yeah if if I was to to do things again I think I I I would seek to do more interviews um because they they are often the most sort of um humanizing uh ways of exploring these histories and uh and some of the most interesting um and they capture things i think ab uh, about uh about these histories which which you which can't really be captured in in much of the written documentation uh, of course we have to be careful about um about uh historical veracity as uh, as memories um are obviously not in wholly reliable in terms of you know factual accuracy and uh, and all that um but we we, we get a, a kind of richness of the of the meaning of of these historical processes and uh and and you can really delve deeper into um into the 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 historical experiences of of these actors so I, I did some interviews with um with a range of priests and 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 former priests um i also i did uh, some in-depth interviews uh with uh the brother of a a montonero activist who was um who was kidnapped and disappeared in uh, in the, the early stages of the dictatorship from 1976, um, and who who had actually worked quite closely with uh, with Carlos Mujica in one of the shanty towns in um, in Buenos Aires, um, but there there is a lot to to th th there is a lot of of potential also in the in archival uh, material, um, so in the 19 60s and 70s, a plethora of publications um, uh, from the political left um, were were circulated, and um, and uh, you, the you know the left wing ecology in in Argentina is, is very rich and very um, very complex at this point, and uh, so there's there's um, there's lots of um, archival material in 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 those kinds of sources that um, that that I I looked at and focused on. Um, also, of course, looked at uh, newspapers, sources, um, uh, and and bulletins by lo local groups. Um, interestingly, um, the, a lot of this is actually available online. That there, there are lots of um, uh, people who. Um, very uh generously uh collect these um these kinds of sources um digitize them and then post them for free on online 
uh, which is very useful for, for a historian based in the UK. Um, and, uh, and, and I also visited a, a variety of, of archives in, in Argentina, um, one of which uh, has a very, very large collection of uh, third world priests materials, uh, which include unpublished documents, um, uh, the, the uh, third world priest bulletin, uh, other publications from um, from uh, Catholic groups, uh, which overlapped in some ways with with the third world priests, um, and and I looked at a variety of of other sources which um, not specifically uh, related to the third world priests or or um, uh, or, or organized groups uh, like that. Um, so personal archives and and collections of published testimonies, testimonies or or documents. Um, on the Protestant side, um, this the so the the third world priests have have been looked have been explored to um, quite a lot, I'd say, by by Argentine Argentine scholars, uh, historians, and uh, sociologists and theologians. Um, uh, but on the on the Protestant side. Um, the existing documentation is is much uh much sparser um but also mu much less accessible uh, i'd say um and and has not really been been explored uh, very much at all so um for the the methodist church which um which i focused on when when exploring um the the protestant sectors um, I looked at, for example, the the Methodist journals and and regular publications there, and, and archives of the Methodist Church. So, so that is quite a, I, I suppose, eclectic array of of different kinds of archival materials, and in, in combination with, um, with interviews, uh, with priests and and former priests. That that helps goes a long way to explaining why your the detail and the richness in a lot of what you write um, in this book. Just to go back to this question of violence, what did joining a going clandestine or joining a guerrilla group mean for priests? What, does that mean they effectively had to abandon the church if they um, went clandestine? Yeah, so this is, again, this is a very mixed experience. Um, so um, as I said, that very few priests actually joined guerrilla groups, um, but many were active in in militant groups, um, which 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 weren't didn't include armed action as um, as um, as sort of its kind of main political tactic, um, and and so I, so yes, yeah, so this was a, a a very mixed experience. Um, some priests. Did um, effectively abandon the church. Um, others didn't, and I, I guess I can use a couple of, of examples to to, um, to to explain what I mean here. So one case is 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 that of uh, Ruendri, um, who was very much on the more radical side of the of the third world priests, um, uh, associated with a group called Peronismo de Base, or, or or which was a kind of grassroots um uh peronist uh, movement which uh, which foregrounded class struggle and 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 hoped to create 
autonomous working class um, forms of organization and, and not rely on the, the kind of uh, existing Peronist institutions. Um, <clears throat> so Ruendri was, was very active um, politically in, in Peronismo de Asia and, and, and community, um, uh, community politics in where he was based in Resistencia in El Chaco, which is in the, the northeast of uh, of Argentina. Um, and he um he was forced into hiding um in at, around um August 1974. Um and 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 when so when he 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 told me he didn't go clandestine um but the the state made him clandestine. Um so when he went underground essentially um he also resigned his his ministry so he told me that what he was involved in the projects that he was involved in were increasingly in conflict with the church and increasing uh and uh and his conception of the priesthood um did not fit within the church institution um so he went into hiding in in Buenos Aires um, in 1974 until he was forced into exile um, in 1976. Um, uh, his, his kind of political comrades um, in Peronismo, Peronismo de Basia were very, very heavily persecuted um, and uh, and he, he very, very much um, was... Uh, uh, was persecuted along, alongside uh, alongside them, um, but managed to escape the country in nineteen seventy six. But another case, which is um, is is very interesting, is that of uh, Jorge Adur, um, who um, who was a a member of the the Third World Priests um, and developed quite close relationships. Uh, a, quite a close relationship with the the Montoneros in the mid nineteen seventies, um, and in fact, in nineteen seventy eight, um, he is announced as the chaplain of the Montonero army, um, and and this is a very interesting case. Uh, one because the Montonero army had uh, largely been defeated. Um, by this point, and most of the Montoneros were were in exile, um, but also because uh, a, a military chaplain is is a recognised position within the church, um, and the uh, the military vicariate in in Argentina is very much associated as as a kind of a, a very very pro military um, section of of the church. Um, so Jorge Aur is is kind of a, um, a kind of replicating in some in some ways this um, this institutional position within the church, um, but to to tie himself to a revolutionary organization, um, and and so he he tried to, I suppose, tie his priesthood with the project of of the Montoneros. Um, uh even though even though the montoneros had had largely been um largely been annihilated um 
and 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 this case i think um, contrasts to uh, to a large extent with that of 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 Dri. um Jorge Aur, um very tragically was kidnapped in in 1980 uh, when he uh, so he, he he quietly returned to argentina tried to he met up with um some of the relatives of the victims of the uh, of the regime and um and, and he was kidnapped on on the border of um of Argentina and and Brazil, um, there there are other um, cases that we could explore um, too. Uh, so um, others who who didn't go clandestine, um, but uh, uh, but tried to maintain a, a kind of um, uh, active politics against the the, the very very. Um, uh, brutal military dictatorship from 1976. Um, for example, the the case uh, in in La Rioja of um, so the, the the local bishop Enrique Angelelli um, saw a number of uh, so Angelelli was very close to the the Third World priests, but as a bishop was was never a, a kind of formal member. Um, but he um, he saw many of his of uh, the his his kind of supporters and sympathizers um uh victimized uh in d- during the dictatorship and and Angelelli himself was assassinated um uh in in the in the first years of of the dictatorship so so it's it's a very mixed experience in in that sense um uh Angelelli never never left the church. He remained as a, as a bishop, um, but some others very much did, um, and others really tried to to tie their um, their kind of institutional uh, membership to to their their revolutionary uh, politics. Uh, so yeah, a, a kind of very very mixed picture there. So. In the book, you talk about three different ways that liberationist Christians responded to to the state terror of the 70s. One option was depoliticization. Another was joining the Arden resistance movement. And a third was the human rights movement. What did liberationist Christians contribute to the human rights movement in Argentina? Yeah, so um, um, the the human rights politics, which was very much emerging uh, internationally or very much sort of... uh, uh emerging as uh as a an international uh movement with mass participation and a very important institutional expressions um uh at this moment of uh of of the cold war in the, in the 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 1970s um and and human rights becomes really one of the the outlets for liberation Liberationist Christians during the uh, during the dictatorship, um, uh, of course, trying to maintain active militant politics was uh, was extremely dangerous in 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 Argentina during the dictatorship during the last dictatorship, um, and and many were were victimized. Many had to go into exile. Others. Um, tried to depoliticize to a certain extent and and maintain a sort of 
um, maintains some of the liberationist Christian uh, values and principles within the institutional church, and and others um, took up the uh, the I suppose the banner of 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 human rights, um, which allowed a certain degree of um, of uh, protection to to some extent from. Um, from international institutions um so the um most uh, most notably um it was the ecumenical um movement uh, or the ecumenical parts of the of liberationist christianity which was which was heavily involved in in human rights politics um and um and in in my chapter exploring this um, this trajectory, I suppose, in, uh, from the mid nineteen seventies to to the end of the dictatorship in nineteen eighty three, um, focus uh, focuses on uh, or partly focuses on the case of of Mendoza in in the west of of the country, um, and, and uh, this is important because um, in September nineteen seventy three a uh, a military coup um, comes to power in in Chile, uh, uh, and is is ex- extremely again very much like the uh, the dictatorship in Argentina is uh, persecutes uh, the left uh, generally, and thousands and thousands of Chile Chileans uh, leave the country, um, <clears throat> many of whom. Go go to Argentina and Mendoza, which is on um, very close to the border with Chile, is is the the first point of call or the first stop for for many for many many Chilean refugees and, and exiles. <clears throat> In fact, it has been estimated that at that well over a hundred thousand Chileans um, entered uh, Mendoza. Um, uh, in the in the first in, in the first few years of the the Chilean dictatorship, um, and for for a, for a city like Mendoza, which is which was only about one hundred twenty thousand, that was a, a very very large <laughs> number. Um, so um, Mendoza was interesting because it was uh, it, it had a very vibrant uh, ecumenical uh, network um, with uh, a large. Uh, a large number of Catholic priests involved who who had been sidelined by their bishops from institutional um, institutional posts, and also very important um, or very influential Protestant figures like uh, like the local uh, Methodist pastor Federico Pavura, uh, who I also in, interviewed as part of uh, my research, um, and um, uh, and others like Aliera Verhoeven. Um, uh, also, also a Methodist. Um, Perico Pagura, um, put uh, after the, the the Chilean coup in nineteen seventy three, put his church in the service of of um, of the assistance uh, for refugees and and worked closely with the World Council of Churches, the the UN High Commission uh, High Commission for um, Refugees, um, and <clears throat> and. Um, very much part of this these initiatives was uh, a, a a discourse in in human rights, um, uh, and and the 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 ecumenical network was the the most active um, 
in in the assistance uh, for for Chilean um, refugees in in Mendoza. Um, <clears throat> this obviously didn't come without a price. Um, so Federico Paulo's church was uh, was bombed, um, and he was repeatedly intimidated by uh, by the. Uh, local paramilitaries and and the, the police and military, um, and the ecum, ecumenical movements um, uh, uh, building or uh, the the ecum is called the ecumenical center uh, was totally destroyed by uh, uh, by what was likely more than one bomb um, in in nineteen seventy four. Um, so. Um, the and and one of the reasons why the ecumenical movement was so uh, so heavily involved in in human rights was because of uh, that so the the world council of churches had had very much ad- adopted human rights as as a kind of key tenet tenet of its its um sort of its um uh, p- political debates and uh, and wider uh, social commitments um in in the, the World Council of Churches Assembly in Nairobi, in Nairobi the year before, in 1974, uh, so, sorry 1975, um, human rights was a, a key topic of discussion, and uh, and um, uh, Latin America was identified as as uh, one of the contexts in which human rights violations were were very widespread, um, and as uh, as a response to this, Federico Paura and and a, a variety of others, um, uh, other primarily Protestant um, uh, activists, uh, set up the Ecumenical Movement for for Human Rights just a, just a, a a couple of weeks before um, the, the the military coup in March nineteen seventy six. In fact. Um, and the ecumenical movement for human rights becomes a, a, a kind of key actor, really, um, a key um, space for um, for often quite subtle and and very careful opposition to um, to the regime, but um, a space in which uh, a certain degree of of um, political agency could could be uh, maintained. Um, <clears throat> of course. The human rights politics entailed some different objectives. Um, for some liberations Christians, this seemed to uh, involve a move back towards um, a kind of prophetic discourse. Um, uh, uh, at the same time, it um, so many liberations Christians had been quite critical of of human rights before because they saw it as having a rather limited scope and entailing a certain uh, depoliticization and 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 generally lacking a class perspective um but it became um one of the uh one of the possibilities for uh, for a certain degree of of opposition to to the the military dictatorship um and in fact many also try to infuse the human rights movement with with a more popular character um so seeking to to incorporate um uh, a sort of empowerment of uh, uh of of uh local communities and uh, and and the poor um and um in yeah and 
just generally introduce a more sort of politicized um uh, ver version uh, including things like social and political rights so it sounds like the human rights movement is actually a very powerful vehicle for liberationist christianity um just to to wrap up every good story needs an ending and you finish your book with the end of the dictatorship in 1983 so what had been achieved by then did Argentinian Christianity just go back to normal after 83 or did it have a lasting legacy? Yeah. So um, often uh, when it's the, many of the histories of liberationist Christianity in, in Argentina stop at 1974. And this is partly to do with um, the difficulties of, of finding um, documentary sources uh, because the you know many of the popular militant organisations, many of the groups uh, were very, much more careful about uh, publishing and and circulating um, uh, anything. Um, um, but uh, one one of the sort of implications of this, I I think is is that um, uh, it is is an, an assumption that liberation is Christianity kind of stops at the point of the dictatorship or or is is destroyed in some way and to a certain extent um there there, there is some truth in in this that uh, the the organizational expressions of of um of liberation is Christianity so the third world priests and and some of the other local groups many of them are have to have to demobilize many of them um can't uh can't continue in 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 this the same way but we do see um new groups um, emerging so the ecumenical movement for human rights is one which has a large influence of of liberationist christians um uh but so um and and the the third world priests themselves pretty much um ends in 1974 uh when the the you know the wave of popular militancy is 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 also uh to to some extent uh, defeated um but liberationist christianity is is much more diverse and dynamic than just being limited to these these singular organizations um so if we go back to the the idea of liberationist christianity as a as a kind of socio-religious movement um it leaves uh, these traces and it leaves these uh, these memories um and uh and uh, uh it, it has a cultural a wider cultural and social impact um despite this period um, being extremely traumatic and and repressive, um, <clears throat> so liberationist Christianity does have an, an interesting uh, has managed to carve itself out an interesting role in in cultural memory. Um, so, for example, Carlos Mujica, who was assassinated in in nineteen seventy four, so before the 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 final military dictatorship, but within broadly within the the period of of state terrorism. Um, is still remembered uh, very fondly uh, in the in the shanty town or the slum where where he worked in Buenos Aires. Um, uh, his you can still see his his face on some of the walls there. There are roads named after him, and um, 
uh, and the uh, and his it, he's often referenced by um, even the current uh, Pope um, Pope Francis, who who um, is is from Argentina, who who was the Archbishop of, of Buenos Aires, and he was actually the head of the 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 Jesuit order in Argentina at the time of the of the last military uh, the military coup in 1976 um and Mujica is held up by a variety of other groups too so the the Peronist left or the uh, Peronism more 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 widely um incorporates Mujica and and some of the other priests but primarily Mujica as part of the I suppose the Peronist um uh Peronist canon and uh, uh, so uh, and it, it's still very very much seen as a very influential figure, um, and after the dictatorship, um, there are two uh, two new priest groups that uh, that emerge at different points, um, both of which adopt um, Mujica as as the kind of um, uh, symbolic fi figureheads. Uh, one which is popularly called the curas vicheros um so these are the priests that um uh, vichero refers to the um the vichas which are the poor neighborhoods in in argentina uh, so these are the what we might call slum priests um and uh, and and this section very much um influenced by a more Kind of cultural in, in interpretation of of liberationist Christianity, much less focused on on class struggle, um, and far more kind of um, uh, integrated and um, uh, sympathetic to the institutional church. Uh, the the other um, group is called the priests in preferential option for the poor, which is far more rooted in class politics, and and I suppose we can see the legacy of the more radical parts of uh, the um, the third world priests who um, who who foregrounded class struggle as um, as as uh, uh, foregrounded class struggle in in their uh, kind of political. Um, political objectives, um, and this, um, these, these um, legacies um, also uh, emerge in, in in different ways. You know, uh, um, in response to to new political debates and new um, uh, new political issues. So, for example, um, in at the start of two thousand. Uh, 2021, Argentina legalized um, abortion, um, and of course, this is a this is a, a major issue or major um, uh, a point of contention within uh, Christianity more broadly, and certainly uh, the Catholic Church. And one of these groups um, as a leg that that holds up Carlos Mujica, the Curas Bicheros very strongly opposed the the legalization of abortion um despite the fact that it was supported by most of the 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 uh, peronist left um whereas the the other group the priest in preferential for the uh, in preferential option for the poor um loosely supported 
um, abortion, or, uh, the legalization of abortion, or at least figures within uh, that group um, su supported the legalization of abortion um, as part of um, uh, 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 the uh, notions of of um, public public health. Um, also, the, the kind of ecumenical movement um, uh, as a legacy of the human rights uh, expressions of liberationist Christianity and, and the Methodist church, for example, they, um, they cautiously, cautiously also supported, uh, uh, the, uh, legalization of abortion as part of, um, this, uh, public, public health, uh, for, for reasons of, of public health. Um, and so again, again, abortion is, I suppose, part of, of the, political disputes of of um rep reproduction which um celibacy had previously been the the sort of um the, the the main issue on that side for the for the third world priests in the 1970s um and um but the 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 support for legalization of abortion is also um a, a product of a um, a diversification, I guess, of liberationist Christianity in the in the nineteen eighties and nineties, and the the emergence of of feminist uh, forms and feminist expressions of of liberation theology, which which uh, really begin to um, introduce new innovations and uh, and uh, are really at the forefront. Of of new developments in in liberation theology after the the nineteen eighties, um. So, these the liberationist Christianity really has um, really did leave a lasting legacy, and and um we still see some of the set some similar divides or uh, some divides which we can we can kind of link back to this formative experience in in the nineteen sixties and seventies, um. Uh, but they are also responding to kind of new contexts and um, uh, and uh, and and new um, popular movements because the legalization of abortion really comes uh, is it, is really achieved on the back of uh, of a huge mass movement of um, of uh, led by by feminists, um, but with widespread support um across society and across and uh, cutting across different institutions um so yeah so they also have to respond to these these kind of new uh, new political and social cleavages in argentine society that's that's really interesting uh, that's about all we have time for today but thank you very much for sharing this amazing and very complex story with us thank you very much roland thanks thanks for having me